This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki Vines and Sugar Dots can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus in the Vega and get lit, what? Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Rob, what it do? What's good? What's good, man? Uh, I'm a year older today, and we are in our new studio, so I'm feeling good, feeling great. How you making out? Good, man. Y'all tried to replace me last week. <laughs> All right, job. He was talking trash about me, but you know, we back. I got the mic longer than him, so so he, he had lost that. But uh, happy birthday to my boy, Rob. Um, also, we want to welcome ourselves to the Boot Crew Media Group, part of the new team over here at Boot Crew. Uh, appreciate them letting us use the studio for the first time today, tonight. So we gonna uh, we gonna kick it off with a bang. Look, bro, you know it's Thanksgiving. That's why I was gone, um, and and I'll start it off like this. You know, I, I ate good, slept good, but I don't think I slept as good as my man Nate Robbins. <laughs> man, I don't know. Like, I I want to feel bad for Nate because I'm a Knicks fan, but he did it to himself. He called that man out. You know, and if I don't follow, you know, this Jake Paul kid on social media, but I I watch just, you know, the Bleacher Report, Sports Center, different websites like that, and I seen clips of him boxing with real boxers, right. like taking punches from real boxers. Right. He's usually clowning, so you don't really like get a full sense of, of what he's you know capable of, but he has a professional fight and he has trained with professional boxers. Nate Robinson clearly had never trained on defending himself because when they hit the bell, he came running in with his hands wide open and his face was leading the charge. And it was just embarrassing to watch. And, and, you know, for him to call Jake Paul out, then talk about he was going to do this in the name of his kids and in the name of the NBA athletes everywhere, right. leave everybody else out of it. Right. If you're going to go embarrass yourself, embarrass yourself by yourself, <laughs> please. Right. Don't come into the fight like you fighting in the seventh grade in the bathroom. All right. right. You got to put up a defense. He had Snoop Dogg singing Negro spirituals <laughs> right. on, on the telecast. It was horrendous. I was embarrassed for him. They got a meme out there for him. Everybody laying on Snoop's the ground. precious love. <laughs> Take me home. My <laughs> right, man was losing in the basketball shoes. Too got his ass beat in basketball shoes. But on to the, to the real fight. It looked like some orange and blue ones. Yeah. And then he had the uh, Knicks shorts on. Like, leave us out of it. Right. Leave right. the New York Knickerbocker organization. We've had enough tragedy in our story history that we don't need this embarrassment on our resume. Thank you uh, very much. Let's get to the real boxes, right? So, like, I'm, I'm, I wasn't going to do it. I'm not paying to see Mike Tyson at 54 fight Roy Jones. I, I didn't do it. But you did. You, you watched it online. What, what was your thoughts on Tyson? Listen, listen. I've heard some people say it, and I totally agree. There's some like low level heavyweights, probably in their late 30s, that Mike Tyson would give a complete run for their money. Like, he was still scary to me. He, you know, that bob and weave that he has going, where he drops down low, comes up, it was still in effect. And the speed, the hand speed, and the power, you know, it was clear, you know, there was a no knockout rule in this fight. There was also an agreement, I think, to not hit in the face. Um, Roy Jones touched Mike in the face a couple of times, but I think it was necessary. Like he had to get him off his ass. I mean, he was not, he was wearing Roy's ribs right. out and, and Roy was out of breath after the first round. You could hear him in the corner, you know, in the middle of the rounds, you know, just out of breath. So it was an exhibition where we got to see what Mike still has. Right. But here's the thing though. 
Mike hadn't fought a fight in like 15 years. Roy is three years removed from a fight. Roy is 51. Mike is 54. Roy is light heavyweight. Mike is heavyweight. Mike lost 100 pounds. Roy should still be in relatively close to fighting shape. So there was no excuse for Roy to show up there after the fight got pushed back in the shape that he showed up in. I mean, he legitimately showed up to take our money. Like, that's all he was there for. But I'm such a Mike Tyson fan, I gladly gave my money up to see that. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did because I wasn't watching that foolishness. But I will say, you do you do see the difference. I saw some highlights and stuff afterwards. You do see the difference between a heavyweight and a light heavyweight. Right. And I mean, that's at 50. So imagine at 25, 28, I, I, that just shows you like the raw power and intimidation. And they only fought at a five-pound differential. So right. I think Roy was probably fighting at 220. I'm sorry, 215. Mike at 220. And Roy's prime, he would have been fighting at 195. Right. And Mike would have been fighting some somewhere between 225 and 240. Mm-hmm. So they were actually closer in weight. I think the difference is that like muscle weighs more than fat. Um, cause Mike was, was, had a lot more muscle mass on his body than, than, uh, Roy did. So that was, that was 215 with a lot of fat, right. <laughs> with a lot of fat in there. <laughs> Enough of the amateur sports, uh, because that was, that was amateurism. Uh, <laughs> I knew they were former pros, but that was amateurism. Let, let's get to the real pros. Well, I want to say one last thing at the end of the fight, they called it a draw, which was total BS. I think that was, that was organized beforehand in order to do what was last which was can we do this again and mike of course was ready to go they've unleashed the beast he's ready for more fights and the look on roy's face as he held his ribs told me that roy jones will not be stepping in anybody's ring ever again so we're gonna need to get mike some new some new sparring partners because Roy ain't bought it. They could do it again on FS1. (laughs) It doesn't need to be no type of people. Look, the real winner of that fight was Snoop Dogg and his commentary and Weed Maps. Because there was a Weed Maps ad every three seconds. I don't know what it is. And Triller. I don't know what that is either. But those things, were they promoted the heck out of that stuff. But like you said, next time, it needs to be on network television, FS1. Put it on at 9 o'clock. It'll be over by 10. Let's skip it, Shannon, and announce it. Right. We could could all be in bed at a reasonable hour. Oh, man. Well, that's cool. That's cool. We'll check it. I'll watch it for free this week. I'll check it out. Uh, Let's get to the NBA right quick. There's not a lot of news in the NBA, but uh, they starting training camp soon. KD is feeling good. He said he is ready for the first day of training camp coming off of that – Torn Achilles with the Warriors a year ago, a, l- a little bit over a year now. Um, so the one thing I did want to ask you and Blaze covered a lot of NBA last week. So the one thing I did want to see with KD back are the Nets legit title contenders? Yeah, I mean they gotta be. They gotta be. I think they, you know, they're saying that um, uh, Kyrie is ready. He'll be healthy coming back. You got KD uh, saying he's ready to come back. The East, we had this conversation. Bucks in the heat, two two horse race. You have to throw this third horse in if both of those guys are healthy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, they have to be right because you look at the East this year. The Bucks, uh, no, not the Heat came out came out of there with the fourth or fifth seed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bucks, I still don't think they've done enough. Drew Holiday is the number two option. He's not better than Kyrie, who's the number two option for the for the Nets. Seventy um, Sixers are you know clusterfuck over there. Um, so I just I think at worst they're the second best team. I, I think they're the favorites coming out the East. To be honest, I don't see a team beating them in the East. 
I don't know that they're good enough, though. I still don't think Kyrie could get over Big Brother. I still think LeBron right. got the edge. Or the Clippers, for that matter. I mean, because, you know, we, we're leaving out some teams. Boston, Toronto, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, Boston let Hayward go. That's probably not going to affect them too much. Kemba's out for the first month. Right. I just saw that today. Um, Philly did add Danny Green and Seth Curry and Doc Rivers as a coach. So you're hoping, you know, Doc got his son-in-law. He got some shooters. Right. Uh, it's it's funny because I feel like that's the relationship that should have existed from the beginning. It's the 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 woman who chose. I mean, I'm sorry, the the guy who chose your daughter as opposed to the guy who cheated on your daughter in Paul George. You should be coaching the one who who married your daughter, right? That's Seth Curry, right? Seth He's married. Seth got signed by the 76ers. Oh, right. right. So it, right. it worked out the way it was supposed to. Doc got his son-in-law and not the guy who cheated on his yeah, daughter. Karma's a bitch. Right. Yeah. So you got two shooters there now. So maybe that helps Ben Simmons with his lack of shooting. They were the sixth seed this past year. So you had four and five was Indiana and Miami. I would argue that maybe that bumps Indiana up to, you know, three or four range. Um, but I still think you're talking about, you know, the Nets, the Bucks, probably then the Celtics, and then you're talking about probably the Raptors and the 76ers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we when we get down to it, I think the Bucks and the uh, the Nets are going to be the class of the right. of the of the conference. Um, and I love what the Heat did, but I just don't know that. When you put people back in their home arenas and institute the travel and start to put some fans in little by little, that that team is going to to produce what they produced this year. Yeah, that was a magical run. I don't I don't see them uh, reliving that glory. But uh, we'll leave it there. Basketball's got to start. Um, December 11th preseason starts. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get we'll get into more basketball later. Um, let's move on to NCAA basketball. We got a couple of topics. I'm gonna start it off light, and then we're gonna get into a heavier conversation at that. that Made a lot of headlines a couple months back. But uh, let, let's first start with a lot of upsets in the first week. We had three top ten teams, UVA, uh, University of Virginia, Villanova, and Duke, which lost tonight to, to Michigan State, granted, so it was number 18 there. But uh, three top ten teams all lost. And look, Kansas looks like they're about to get run out of the gym by Kentucky right now. They down, you know, 17-7, just turned the ball over, so it's 19-7. And, I mean, this is kind of in line with what we've seen in college football, right? It, mm-hmm. they, the teams didn't get a lot of time to practice. There was no spring practice for football. So, you've you seen, like, LSU's having a down year. Uh, Texas is losing. Oklahoma's losing. So, you know, you saw a lot of big-name teams lose games that they typically haven't lost in, in previous years. Basketball, on the other hand, at, at least for one thing, they're having the, out of, the non-conference games. So, they're not sticking to conference only or anything like that. But you've seen a lot of upsets. And so, it's, it starts to make you wonder – you know, how much are they, you know, did they lose in practice and, and those young teams, especially like your, your Kansases, your your Dukes, uh, Villanovas, they typically get the best freshmen in the country every year. So if mm-hmm. they don't have that practice time, those 18-year-old guys don't have the, the you know, ability to, 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 you know, get going at the beginning of the season, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, we ended last college basketball season – no conference tournament, then you got no NCAA tournament, then you got limited practice time coming into the season. So we, we've got a limited knowledge of what we're really looking at. I think when we had uh, Jimmy Details on the podcast, he talked about how preseason rankings began to, to mean less and less when we didn't necessarily have the best idea of, you know, well, I guess it meant less when we didn't have the best knowledge of, of recruiting, right. right? And so here we have a season where our knowledge of what these teams really 
were at the end of last year right. was limited because they didn't play out the year. So naturally, we're going to be a little, little bit limited coming into the year as to what we're looking at because we didn't get to see them under the bright lights and all the pressure of postseason basketball last year. So it's going to take a while, I think, to you know work yourself out but i'm gonna be honest i'm just happy to see college basketball i'm usually so into to professional football at this point that i don't really start focusing into college basketball until later in the year having lost last year's uh ncaa tournament and conference tournaments i'm now paying more attention early in this college basketball season than i would in previous years and you almost have to right because i mean we, we are big fans like we're right. big fans of all sports I'm looking at this Kentucky-Kansas matchup. I don't know one player on the team. Right. Like, I can't name one player. Watch Duke-Michigan State. I can't name one player. So, like, to your point, not having those conference tournaments, those the, the NCAA tournament where kind of stars rise and, and, and names become, you know, headlines, we didn't have that. And so now you're starting fresh with basically what amounted to half of a season and, and, and missing the most important part of the season last year. So right. um, we'll, we'll see how that goes starting off. Um, also speaking of, of just the basketball season starting, what are your thoughts on COVID? Do you envision a similar outbreak as like we've seen in college football where Wisconsin's missed multiple games, um, LSU's missed games, Ohio State? Like, Yeah, quiet is kept, I feel like, as the nation is going, college football is going. Mm-hmm. NFL is, is kind of, I'm not going to say falling apart, but we there's a lot of positive tests and they're trying to, trying to make it move through, right? Like right. we saw Denver... Saints with no quarterbacks. We see Ravens, Steelers being pushed back to Wednesday with constant positive tests. So the NFL is weathering it a little bit better because there's more flexibility in the schedule because these aren't school kids. Right. College football is all over the place, mm-hmm. right? Wisconsin is not even going to make it um, to a full six-game schedule to qualify for, for, for postseason play. Right. Um, I don't see how college basketball avoids that other than the idea that they have smaller rosters. Like, maybe it's easier to corral 15 college students. Also, I think we've talked in the past about if you're playing what amounts to an 8-10 to 10 game schedule and you start to lose, right. your Florida State, your LSU, LSU, and your season doesn't look like it typically looks, is there any incentive to not party anymore? Right. Whereas when you're playing a 32-game schedule in college basketball, it's going to take a lot longer to get to that point. Plus, there's a lot more teams that get invited exactly. to the tournament. Right. So the likelihood that you just quit and start partying and start testing positive right. when there's only 15 of you and there's a longer schedule and more people get invited to the tournament, I think is a lot smaller than when you have the 55-man roster and mm-hmm. at a certain point you needed four wins to get to bowl eligibility and you realize you're not going to get to four, what are we even playing for? Right. And now you cancel some of my games. My games are late December and I know I'm not going to a bowl game anyway. I'm essentially giving Clemson. I'm giving Alabama. I'm giving some of these bowl eligible teams just the opportunity to tee off on me. And so I feel like a lot of kids are not taking the, you know, stay at home orders and everything seriously. I think that college basketball won't necessarily suffer in that same way. And then also college basketball is going to a single site. For this year's uh, for the 2021 NCAA tournament, so again they're thinking about doing something similar to what the NBA did in a, some sense of a bubble. I'm not really sure they haven't really come out with all the the scheduling on how that's going to work, how many <clears throat> weekends they're going to do it over. But I think the NCAA is thinking ahead in terms of college basketball and, and trying to make it work long term. Um, let's get to the to the most important and the the most provocative topic of college basketball right now. Five star Maker McCur, uh you know, surprising to everybody, 
decided to take his talents to Washington, D.C. and attend Howard University. Um, there was a lot of uproar, a lot of excitement from, uh, you know, the HBCU community. Rob, you went to Morehouse. You might have been feeling a little pride in that. And, and there was a lot of talk, especially given, you know, what happened, you know, with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, all the social issues, the, the injustice, the social injustice. There was a lot of talk about would this be the start of more athletes, prominent athletes going to HBCUs over predominantly white institutions and could this cause a rift in, in what is currently the, the, the landscape of, of college sports. Fast forward, Howard is 0-3 with a loss to a Division II school. Uh, Lincoln McCoy has been shut down by the head coach due to a groin injury and there's no, there, there's no um, timeline on his return if, if he decides to return. So, speaking from an HBCU graduate over here, Rob, what, what's your thought on, uh, what, what, you know, the situation with Maker? All right, so I'm not, I, I'm not just an HBCU graduate. <laughs> I'm an HBCU graduate who worked at an HBCU athletic department, then studied sports law at Tulane Law School, which was a Division One school. So I got some insight as to how the athletic department worked. Um, there was this article that everybody's talking about for Deadspin, the Maker Mercure. Uh, McCure Maker experiment at how it was never going to work and already off to a bad start. That was written by Karan J. Phillips. That was one of my classmates in the history department, I think, at Morehouse. We had some class together. Okay. He, I think he was a year behind me. When you go to an HBCU, he points out in the article, this is a school that I think only won four games the year before. Mm -hmm. So this kid was already putting himself in a tough spot, trying to solely by himself save a university. Right. I think I pointed out on a previous podcast, I would feel better if this were a dominant guard who was tearing apart high school basketball. Right. A lot of his rating ranking had to do with his size. Mm -hmm. And as we know, when you come in as an 18-year-old seven-footer, there's a lot to your game that you usually need to add. Are you going to get the coaching necessary? Now we're experiencing the other part. These athletic departments, the funding is slim, right? And my concern was more the testing element. Will they even be able to carry out a full season? Because if they start getting positive tests, will they have the finances to test on the level necessary to make sure that they prevent outbreaks and, and finish their season? Right. A groin injury to potentially shut down your entire freshman year? Like, that speaks to lack of finances, resources, trainers. Listen, when I worked at an HBCU athletic department, it was like a seven-man operation. I'll just be quite honest with you. You know, it was not that different on game days for football than it was when high school, when we used to have the trainers come out to the field who were like people who were hired that night right. to come out and just make sure you, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily what you're going to see at a Clemson or a Florida State or some D1 school right. where like there's all these trainers giving you treatment day in and day out after every practice you go into the treatment room right. and they're stretching you out and they're massaging out your muscles you're not getting all that right. right and i understand that howard is on a higher level than morehouse but i hesitate to believe that it's that much higher of a level and that's why in this type of situation you would just say let's just shut him down because right. now you're scared right. that you're going to ruin his draft stock exactly. which is wouldn't be an issue at a ucla right they would have the best medical professionals and the best trainers and they would get him exactly right and exactly where he needed to be to come back. This is 
a move to me that's based out of fear. And as the article states, it's the reason that it was always a danger for him to come here. And as the article also states, he didn't even pick the best HBCU. Right. Right. And so he put himself in a situation where he was playing savior to a university. And I don't even know if his talent level was on the level to save the to save that university. Yeah, I mean, upon further research, I've seen that he was actually draft eligible this year because he's 20 years old. Right. So he actually couldn't go into the draft. He wasn't on the draft boards for the first round. So he really needed to dominate in the college level to to get his to propel up the draft boards to get drafted. So not only have you not done that, you couldn't even elevate your college team against average competition, and now it's becoming increasingly um, obvious why few, you know, five-star prominent athletes go to HBCUs, not because, you know, they can't be good or they can't be great, but there's more obstacles. It's harder to overcome. Yeah, you'll get a few athletes here and there, but... The safety net doesn't exist. Exactly. Like, Howard is a top-of-the-line academic institution. So, yeah, that's black excellence. When you go there, you can compete with the best across the country. So that's relevant if you're trying to be a lawyer. Uh, or you want to go to be a doctor, you know, whatever. Uh, pick a, pro- a profession. But when you talk about athletics, you don't have the resources, the funding, the 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 boosters to provide the resources necessary to create a top-notch athletic program to put, you know, to, to make people. They don't have the relationships within the professional ranks. The coaches don't have those relationships. So you, you're giving up a lot by going there. So in saying all that, is this the end of the five-star HBCU experiment? You know, I, I really hope not. But the reality is I think we talked about it off the pod in our group text at the time. And we kind of thought it was probably going to be a one-off. Yeah. And we named a number of players, you know, as an HBU student. There were there was always a guy, right? For us, John David Washington, he was Denzel Washington's son who showed up. He ended up getting tryouts with the, the Rams after his college career was over, it was the St. Louis Rams at the time. I think we had a running back who came in who dominated, whose name escapes me, but he uh, was a transfer from Clemson mm-hmm. at the time. And when they put him in the game, it was 200 yards every time he touched the field. You, It's not rare to see in HBCU athletics guys who left Division One sports and came and played um, and, and shine even. Right. So the idea that talent exist in the HBCU ranks is not a, a, a right. unknown phenomenon. Right. He was just a higher rated athlete, but he was higher rated based off of his ceiling. Right. And my thought was always in order to get to the top of that ceiling, he was going to need the best coaching, the best trainers, the best everything. And and Howard, and, and most HBCUs for that matter, weren't going to be able to provide him that. I think Mikey Williams was the next kid that people were saying like, oh, he was tweeting at McCore Maker, you know, Mikey is 16, 6'3", like almost, you know, 190 at this point. Mature kid who's going to command a lot of offers. I don't expect to see him going to HBCU. If he was even flirting with the idea, if, yeah, I think that's over. Yeah. And I just want to point out John David Washington's best athletic moment was acting as a wide receiver in Baldur's. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yo, I, you know, the man was uh, in a award-winning, Oscar award-winning movie, uh, the the Klansman movie, so <laughs> Spike Lee, shout out, right? Um, all right, so we'll leave it there. Let, let's let's go to college football. B- Black Klansman, Black Klansman. <laughs> I, I don't know why the I said the Klansman movie. <laughs> I don't even know the name. Uh, let's move on to college football. We got uh, let, let's talk about 
the biggest games this weekend, right? And I think this is kind of indicative of how college football season has gone this year. The two <laughs> biggest games, number 12, Indiana, who just lost their starting quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., who he's out for the year with a torn ACL, by the way, was having a great season. I, I got to give him a lot of credit. I didn't respect Indiana at first, but they went toe-to-toe with Ohio State. Uh, and lost by seven points, and he did everything <laughs> in his power to keep him in the game, and, and he had him right there. So I do give him a lot of credit. But saying that, he's out. Number 12, Indiana, is at number 16, Wisconsin, who you already mentioned, won't even play enough games to be eligible for the college football playoffs. So that's that's the only ranked game this week. The biggest game this week is where college game day will be in attendance. And this is uh, Liberty, coached by Hugh Freeze, who was ousted at, at Ole Miss um, against Number 18, Coastal Carolina, who was one of my previous uh, winners a couple weeks back. So, you know, it's good to see some new blood. But I think this says all that needs to be said about the state of college football when this is the game of the week. Yeah, I mean, Coastal Carolina, I've watched Liberty a little bit. They beat Virginia Tech on that last second field goal. I was really happy for them that week. Until yeah. I uh, started to read about, you know, the, I, I read the, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to make their kicker one of our winners one week. And then I saw the kid's Twitter profile and uh, he just had some like anti-Black Lives Matter stuff on there. And I had to take him off my winners list. Um, you know, if you just Google Liberty University, you'll know that they got a lot of controversy going on down there. I live down there in Miami. Right. Uh, there's, there's allegations of the president of the university and a pool boy. I'll leave it at that. You can use your Googles to figure out what's going on with that. Um, and now they got our boy Hugh Freeze, who had his own fair share of controversy. Yeah, but he's got them kids winning. Um, and I was actually upset to see them lose to, to NC State because otherwise they would have come into this game undefeated, having two wins, I believe, over uh, ACC teams. And so it would have been 10-0 Liberty versus 9-0 uh, Coastal Carolina. But as it stands, 9-1 versus 9-0, like you said, this is really just a sign of the times. It's yeah. a sign of the times. I mean, nobody's excited about this game. I don't care how many games these kids win. I watched them play. And this is not top-level college football, right? So now we really counting wins and losses, but it's not about skill on the field. And, you know, I don't want to say I'm, I can't wait for the season to be over, but, you know, the quicker we deal with this COVID and we get back to normal life, the better. Because I don't think there's any one sport where I feel the effects of it more than college football. I mean, when's the last time you had the game of the week in week, what, 11 or 12 of college football? And – regardless of who wins the game, they have absolutely zero chance of not even, I'm not even talking about the college football playoff. They can't go to New Year's Day Bowl. Right. I mean, you know. And they have one loss combined. Right. Right. Yeah, it's and, just and sad. nobody cares. Nobody cares. So, so uh, if anybody's counting, college game day has been to the Masters tournament, which is the the, 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 the highest, you know, the, the most watched golf tournament. And they've been to Coastal Carolina after this week. Like, that's the state of college football in COVID. And we all just supposed to sit here and pretend that shit's normal. Yeah, like, right. That's exactly. not normal. Exactly. And speaking of acting like shit is normal and when it's not, let's talk about what has become the new phenomenon in college football, and that is opt-outs. Uh, with this year not really counting towards eligibility, not kind of, it's not counting towards eligibility for any players. Um, players have been opting out in the beginning of the season, after games, in the middle of the season, you mentioned Florida State had two players opt out this week. Uh, we don't know if they're transferring. Yeah, well, one, t- one announced he's turning pro. Santi Samuel's son, uh, okay. Santi Samuel Jr. announced turning pro. Damian Webb opted out. But, 
Yeah, I mean, we don't know if they're even transferring schools. That's the other issue. Exactly, because the portal's open. Right. And uh, we also had LSU wide receiver Terrence Marshall, who was, you know, a, a top three-round guy pick coming into the season. He's played his way into what he thinks is a first-round draft pick. Michael uh, Mel Kuyper has him on his uh, the number 21 on his big board. And we lost this week to, to Texas A&M in a game that really wasn't close. That The defense played well, but we couldn't score. We scored on the last drive, made it respectable 27, but it – you know, we couldn't move the ball. And so, you know, Marshall feels like he's a first-round draft pick, and, and that's the best option for his family, right, to opt out. There's no sense in playing Alabama where LSU is a 28-and-a-half-point dog at home in Tiger Stadium, which is unheard of, especially on the back of a national championship just last year, right. um, which is, is ridiculous. But that's kind of where we are um, in college football. So a lot of fans down here in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, are calling Terrence Marshall a quitter. So my question to you, Rob, is what's your take on on players opting out in the middle of a season? Man, you can't really be mad at them for opting out in the middle of the season. The situation as it currently stands is that the majority of the games left are reschedules. Right. Right. And so these kids, realistically speaking, know that their situation, their their status for their team has, has been determined. And you now asking them to essentially play for pride, right? And if I have draft stock on the line, the draft stock has to override the university pride. Because, like, we talked about Tua Tungavaloa, Jalen Waddle. I mean, you know, you can go back in history. Uh, what was the, the um, Anthony Poindexter was a safety from UVA, I remember when yep. he was younger. Uh, the running back from South Carolina, from Somerville, South Carolina. Marcus Lattimore. Marcus Lattimore. Yeah. I mean, you could just go on down the list. Those guys just disappear. Right. You know, and right. we never really talk about them again. Millions of dollars are lost. Yep. Families' lives are changed forever. And nobody really cares right. that they put it all on the line for a university. And this is an extreme example. Like, those guys were playing during regular season. You're asking these kids to suit up for games that literally mean absolutely nothing. Right. The season's over. It's a postponed game, and you just don't want to get embarrassed. Exactly. But you have nothing to gain from right. the game. It's no different than the kids opting out of the bowl games at the end of the season when there's nothing to gain. Mm-hmm. I can't be mad at these kids for doing this. They literally get nothing from right. playing in this game. You know, the Florida State kids – Florida State just canceled three games in a row, right. right? So if the ACC and FSU couldn't handle COVID well enough to where Clemson, UVA, and Duke games had to be canceled in back-to-back-to-back weeks, how can you look at those kids right. and blame them for being like, you know what, y'all don't have your shit together. Right. I'm not playing football. You know what I mean? LSU, there were, uh, what, two, two cancellations. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't have your shit together. Right. I gave you... The, the span of weeks that was supposed to be the college football season, that has now expired. We're not going anywhere. I'm done. Yeah. I ain't got no problem with that. I and, can't. And at the end of the day, it's like it also becomes a safety issue. Right. Like you said, Florida State hadn't played in three weeks. So now you're telling the team basically to restart their season over. Right. It's like the week one. And, you know, injuries. And we talk about this all the time, right? Like these guys don't get paid. We could talk about, you know, free tuition. And me and you have talked about – you know, all the money that goes into resources and, and facilities that these kids get for two or three years. But if, when they don't make it, we, we didn't even get into like health care. These kids, you know, they only get health care for while they're playing. Once they're out, 
they don't get health care. So, you know, they're putting their bodies literally on the line. And when you see what happened to Jalen Waddle a couple of weeks back and Saban basically criticized the kid because he took the ball out, <laughs> although it was 10 yards deep in the end zone. Low like, class. These coaches low class move. no respect or um, shame when it comes to like, they just want to do whatever they got to do to keep their salary. And to hell with these kids. They're just commodities. And so I don't blame. I'll never fault a player for, for doing that. Um, one thing I think we're going to start seeing or maybe a potential issue. You mentioned it, right? Um, players started opting out of the bowl games. Now will we start seeing players opt out of their junior year um, to just focus on the draft. Just given not even COVID, but just getting the nature of injuries and, and those things. Like Derek Stingley Jr., for instance, fellas, shoot, is, is a top cornerback who's going to go in the first round. Does he need to play next year? Will he play next year? I think that's you're gonna. I think their players are starting with this player empowerment movement. I think they're starting to um, really put the NCAA on notice, and the NCAA is really gonna have to look at that three year college rule. It doesn't exist right. in basketball. It's one year. Baseball, you can go out of high school or you stay three years. Like the, and the college football is gonna have to start looking at um, the rules as they stand, and, and if they you know have to do some, make some changes. And we just we just mentioned the name Michael Penix Jr. as a right. kid who's a, exactly. a redshirt sophomore, so he's playing in what would have been his last year mandated and tears right. his ACL in the middle of the season. He relied heavily on his athleticism. Will he be the same when he comes back next year? And given the the nature of the NFL, with Kyler Murray's going number one overall, like that type of quarterback can now go early in right. the first round. That's kind of what is coveted by the NFL GMs and coaches right now. So uh, it's no longer. They're looking for the pocket passes. Now they're looking for the mobile quarterback. So I'm saying that to say he could have been a top. Right, like me and Blaze boasted on the last podcast, he's a guy who's going to come back next year because we think he'll have more to prove. But now you're talking about coming back from an ACL injury. He might even be available at the very beginning of the season. His whole outlook is totally different. And you had a non-powerhouse, right? Indiana's not a football powerhouse. So who's to say they don't have a lot of seniors on this team? Fry Fogle, who's the receiver who's been catching all his passes. You know, now all of a sudden you come into a different situation in next year. Right, and now if your team is is five and seven or six and six, you don't have the same buzz as you do this year just based on the season. You can't capitalize off that, those wins. Um, so we'll, you know, I don't know. I just think it's something to look at, um, as we, as college football continues to kind of crawl to the finish line. Um, other news in college football before we move on, the college football playoff came out with their top four, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. And the story I think right now is not the top three, right? You, everybody thinks those are the top three, but Ohio State has only played four games. Mm. So how does a college football playoff committee do you determine a team that's playing four, maybe max of seven games as one of the best four teams? At that point, you're going strictly off a of name, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like we're going off of history, right? Right. And, and the names of the players on the different rosters. To me, the big story there is really just Notre Dame-Clemson because if Notre Dame beats Clemson in the ACC championship, it opens the door to Florida or Texas A&M, I think, getting that, that last spot. If it's a Clemson victory, I think it just flips around the seating, but those four teams didn't advance. Right. That's the And it's sad to me because it's like it renders everything else irrelevant in college football. Yep. It's like these four teams are the only teams that matters. Nobody cares about anything else. And really we're just looking to see what happens in the ACC championship. And realistically speaking, you know, I don't want to be seen as a Jimbo hater because he left Florida State behind, but I don't think that Texas A&M belongs in the uh, playoffs. They don't. I think they'll get smoked by any one of those other teams. Um, 
Florida, because of the way Trask and Pittman are playing, maybe. But realistically speaking, I think that those four teams are far and away better than the rest. And, you know, we just got to hope that the four of them go because otherwise I don't even think it's going to be that, you know, it's going to mess up the entire playoff seeding system. I'll I'll definitely say, I mean, I'm a big LSU fan and I watched that game last week against A&M. And if we had any semblance of an offense, we could have won that game. Like, it was a was twenty. To, it was a twenty-seven. Yeah, like I was not impressed and we at all. Pick six. And Kellen Mond's like a fifth-year senior, yeah. I believe. Like it's not impressive. No, I, I don't see them going very far if they get it. And, and Jimbo's they, supposed to be a quarterback-minded head coach, offensive-minded head coach, and this is this you had this guy all these years, yeah. and that's the best you could get out of him. Yeah, I, I don't see. I, I think college football is hoping that. Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC final because I don't think they want to see anybody else. And with Trevor teams. Lawrence, I expect that to happen. Um, yeah, definitely. So, you know. Definitely. I mean, Clemson lost in double overtime on the road without Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> right, so right. I don't think there's any uh, issue with, with trying to. The, the question is, do they have a rematch? Because they're right now 2-3. So if they flip, then they. So I think. Right, you just let them play a third time, or do you drop? Potentially, say Notre Dame loses bad, I think potentially you slide them back to four. Right. And, and then you make them play the one seed, and they're probably going to get bounced out in the first round. Yeah, right. I expect them. Um, so let's get to the NFL, where they had a lot of lot of storylines, a lot of you know, a lot of COVID issues, a lot of coaching issues, um, a lot of things going on. So first, let, let's talk about COVID, right? So we both Saints fans, we big Saints fans. Um, COVID has been a shit show in the NFL. I think they've handled it horribly. But the first thing Saints got punished this week for a couple of weeks back, they were shown. Uh, Club Dub is what they call it after the games where they dance, celebrate. And um, they had a video that went viral without a couple of players and Sean Payton dancing on camera with no mask. So since then, it's been, you know, it's brought to the attention by probably Saints fans and in media that other teams previous to the Saints have been on camera dancing. Detroit Detroit Lions, Denver Broncos. Uh, Denver Bron- exactly. Um, they they referred to us as repeat offenders, though. Right. So, Although Coach Vic Fangio had a similar offense as Sean Payton for not wearing a mask on the field in week two. So There you go. So in saying all that, it kind of was quiet on the front for the last two or three weeks, and the punishment came down this week. Saints were fined $500,000 um, you know, for the organization, and we lose a 2021 seventh-round draft pick, which is huge because we got a lot of cap money tied up and, like, Breeze probably retiring – and those things. So every draft pick we've we've hit with Marcus Coaster and Zach Streif. So that that's been you know we we've, we've done well with our draft picks, especially you know late round picks. So what's your thoughts on on the Saints punishment? And, and Listen, the, I, the NFL's treatment of the New Orleans Saints for the last few years to me has been like it seems like they got something out against us. I felt that way for a long time, um, and it makes sense. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but. Sean Payton has gone a lot, a long way to flip the middle finger to Roger Goodell in a couple different situations, um, whether that be uh, the book that he wrote after the Super Bowl where he talks about, I think it was David Ornstein, which was the marketing agent for Reggie Bush, yeah. who he befriended and the guy had federal charges. Uh, uh, Roger Goodell basically said, you need to watch this guy, limit your encounters with him because you know he's a bad look for the NFL. And Sean Payton basically left tickets for him at every game. He was one of the guys who I think donated money to the pot for what later became Bounty Gate. So then you have the issues of Bounty Gate. Allegedly, Sean Payton was warned about that, continued to do it. There's just a lot of things that Sean Payton, I think, did during that period of time to piss Roger Goodell off, probably thinking, listen, you had Spygate over here with the Patriots and you didn't do shit. Leave me alone. I'm going to run my franchise. But you're not Robert Kraft. You're not old money. 
You're not somebody who sells tickets and makes the NFL brand larger. I think you then fast forward to everything with the passing their friends call and the complaints that we had. And we just, we tried to embarrass the game of football because of a bad call. I think that just only increased the hate. Right. So then I felt like now we have the most flagged secondary in football for like the last two years running after we complained about pass interference calls. I think that's no coincidence. But I will say this, based on all of that, I expected this penalty to be worse. I expected them to penalize us worse than anybody else because it's clear that there's an issue between Roger Goodell and Sean Payton. But in reality, this punishment wasn't even as bad as what the Raiders got, which was a $500,000 fine. They got stripped of a six-round draft pick. Um, so I was, I'm, I hesitate to say happy, but I was like, damn, at least we didn't get, I thought we were going to get a fifth, at least. Um, but realistically speaking, when you look at the Tennessee Titans, who to me were the biggest violators, right, right. who had all these people test positive and then they held practices after right. at a private high school and then got no punishment, right. man, you know, I'm not even going to say what I think about the NFL. It's a joke. This whole thing is just like the concussion issue where it's all about optics and it's always the NFL is a day late, a dollar short and it's always optics and it's never about fixing the reality of the situation. How you penalize people after they play a game together, they got dressed in the locker room, took showers together and because they danced next to each other, now that's where you draw the line. It's insanity to me. I'm sick of it. But like I said, I'm glad that at least it wasn't a fifth or a fourth or something, you know. It's just sad when you look at Denver embarrassed the NFL across the world. They had to play without a quarterback. They had an undrafted free agent wide receiver who played quarterback at Wake Forest, which tells you all you need to know. <laughs> this and dude, he was a quarterback, I think, only as a freshman. He wasn't even like a four-year starter at quarterback. I hope not, because uh, them passes he was throwing out there, <laughs> he couldn't even throw a spiral. But it, you got this you got this Denver team embarrassing the NFL to have, to have to show this game on TV was an embarrassment. I mean, literally, they could not get a first down. Every pass they completed was to us, the Saints. Um, you have Denver, like you mentioned, you got Tennessee. You got Baltimore, who's had a positive test, at least one positive test for 10 days in a row. And I think it goes back to a, a staff member not wearing a, the contact tracing band that they've given Um all NFL personnel and players. He, you know, he's fired. Right. So I, so you got all these things going on. None of these teams are being punished, at least to date. And Saints, who who would have the benefit, who were, you know, subjected to the worst call probably in NFL history on that passing the fans call. The worst no call. Three, worst no call three years ago to now penalize us but something that's being done across the league and celebrating, as you mentioned, like these dudes are on the field, sweating, spitting, bleeding, breathing. I mean, it's just, it's just a shame. And it's, it's, just, a, it's also not lost on me that the celebration was after beating Tom Brady. Like, let's just be real. The right. NFL golden boy. Buddy. Yeah, we broke our foot off in their ass. Yeah. We danced in the camera. Clubbed Jameis up. Winston, who a lot of people don't like, <laughs> ate, the, ate w. the W. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now people butt hurt. Like, come on. But, uh, you know, it's all good. We're going to keep it moving. We Just like we, we kept it moving, we still here, even though Sean Payton is the only coach that have been suspended for a whole year. First in the um, NFC. You know, we're we coming back. So we're we, we looking to make make some noise in the playoffs anyways. Um, I mentioned Denver not playing without, you know, playing without a quarterback. Um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore still hadn't played. And uh, they're scheduled to play tomorrow, Wednesday, when 
typically the new NFL week starts on the third. This shit is just getting embarrassing. What's, what's your thoughts on Denver without a quarterback? Baltimore, continuous test. Like, will the NFL finish the season? Yeah, they're going to finish the season, but it's like the NFL is like, you know, this person with, you know, food on their face, and you're trying to tell them they got food on their face at the wedding, and, and they standing up there, like, still giving a speech. And you keep pointing, like, yo, you need to get that off your face. And they're pretending as if they don't hear or see you telling them that. Like, they want to pretend as if nothing is wrong. Right. What is happening with Baltimore and Pittsburgh is an embarrassment. Like, at a certain point, you need to postpone the game. Right. I was a person who was initially upset because I was like, they ruined Thanksgiving. They ruined, they, they ruined yep. Thanksgiving. If you got a couple positive tests, just play the game. Right. What I didn't know is that they appear to be on the verge of an outbreak. Here's the issue with that. The rule is supposed to be if an outbreak appears to be imminent, then you cancel the game. So any game that's been postponed as of, date, as of this date has been because they feel like it's an uncontrolled outbreak. How the NFL is determining what they think to be a potential outbreak versus what's not an outbreak is confusing to me because some of these games have been postponed, pushed back. Right. And this one, where you have 10 straight days with at least one positive test for the Ravens, is not considered that. Right. It starts to feel like to me, you know, it was a too big to fail is, is what they talked about with the banks and everything. I feel like this particular game at this point in the season, given that it's a division rivalry, and has huge playoff implications is one they don't feel comfortable uh, playing later in the season when it may mean a lot less because either team may not need it at that point. Again, I go back to the safety issue, though. Baltimore practiced for the first time since Saturday before the Tennessee game, which was a week ago, a week 11 game. So, you know, we got dudes that tested positive that couldn't play Thursday that can all of a sudden play this Wednesday. Like J.K. Dobbins and Mark, I think Mark Ingram are both going to be eligible, but somehow uh, Lamar Jackson is not. Right. Like, I don't know what is going on with these tests and these results. And I want to know what test are. the NFL got. Right. <laughs> Damn sure ain't the test I'm listen, taking I, you know, Listen, I took a test the other day at Walgreens. <laughs> they let me swab myself. <laughs> if I played in the NFL and they let me swab myself, I'd be negative every week. I was like, where you want me to put it? One inch up. She, I was in the car. She was behind a glass wall. I could put the right. put the swab wherever I wanted to get that negative test. Hey, look, one inch. <laughs> Shit, I still got a damn swab stuck in my nose. That's so deep, man. That's crazy. But uh, last thing with the COVID. San Francisco was searching for a new home at the beginning of the week because Santa Barbara, where their Levi Stadium is, their home games are played, um, implemented a no-contact sports ban in, in, a, in a city, in a county. Um, moving forward. So they decided to move all their home games for the next month or so uh, while the ban is in place to Arizona, um, where the Arizona Cardinals play. So that's just another note of just another shit show caused by COVID. Like the NFL is having to figure out ways to go around county and city uh, bans. So it's just, you know. In the in the 49ers low key, they're only five and six. So, you know, as much as you want to say doesn't it's meaningless matter. and it doesn't matter, you know, when the NFC at five and six, you know, you're at the 10th seed or actually you're tied at eight. You're tied eight, nine and 10, all are five and six and seven makes the playoffs. Right. Right. So realistically, they're like one game removed from the playoffs. And now you're telling them you don't get a home game for like pretty much the rest of the season. Right. Like. 
they got a lot of division games on the back end. Right. So they can make and up so ground. Yeah, even if they... Right, they can make up ground because it appears that three NFC West teams are going to make the playoffs. But also, they could play spoiler potentially right. to some NFC West teams that now they're playing those games on the road and we're all just kind of supposed to pretend like this stuff don't matter. And I can't complain as a Saints fan because we just got a game with a team without a quarterback, so... Right. Right, you just got to do what you got to do. I mean, um, if you ask me, playing Drew Locke would have been that much different, but that's a story <laughs> for another day. Yeah, I mean, if you if we could win with 78 passing yards from Taysom Hill, it wasn't much you was going to have out there anyways. Uh, before we move on to our winners and losers, quick coaching carousel. Everybody know Matt Patricia got canned in Detroit along with the general manager. <laughs> but I got three coaches, yay or nay, whether they should stay, or, uh, you know, be fired or stay another year. I want to get your quick thoughts on Doug Marone, head coach for the Jaguars. Now, Doug Marone to me is the, – the the Jaguars, if I recall correctly, they just fired their GM, right? Correct. And before that, it had been uh, a guy from the New York Giants. Um, Coughlin, Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin. So it's time for the coach to go. You done moved on from two GMs. You've let all the talent walk out of the door from Jalen Ramsey to A.J. Boye to everybody Leonard else. Fournette. Leonard Fournette. Um, and now you're about to be either the first or second pick in the draft. It's time to start over with a new GM, new head coach, and potentially Trevor Lawrence. And they came out the gates blazing. They beat the Indianapolis Colts, who, who looked to be a legit playoff team in week one, and then they reeled off 10 consecutive losses. I think any coach that loses 10 games in a row, I don't give a damn if it's your first year or your, your last year. It's time to go. Listen, when they started Garner Minshew at quarterback to start the season – I knew that they were in complete tank mode for Trevor Lawrence. I think now they're a little concerned that the Jets, who already have Sam DeArnold, are about to go over and take Trevor Lawrence from them. So now they've benched Garner Minshew and they're going with Mike Glennon, I think, in an effort to get Trevor Lawrence as the cornerstone of the franchise. And I think they want to start with Trevor Lawrence, a new head coach, and a new GM. So I think Doug Marone's out. Quick thoughts on that. I know you and Blaze talked about Joe Burrow uh, injuries last week. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, that's why some quarterbacks don't want to go to certain teams, the worst team coming out the gate, because you get put in a situation where you, you, you know, you, you put in danger because you don't play with a lot of talent. I don't, I don't really necessarily agree with that take, but um, there's a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence not wanting to go to the Jets. My issue is number two team is the Jaguars. So, right. like, at what point do you make the call? Like, what team do you want to go to? What's your thoughts on do you think Trevor Lawrence wants to go to the Jets? And, and, and what's your take, overall take on you know, should he just go wherever he's drafted? I mean, if I were him, I think I'd want to go to the Jaguars, realistically speaking. Um, DJ Shark, uh, I think Keenan Cole's the other wide receiver, slightly more talent. I, I You know, the Jets, Rashard Perriman, who's somebody who failed at another team, Multiple and then teams. Crowder, you know, who's just a kind of NFL journeyman to a certain extent. They let Le'Veon Bell go at running back. What are they starting? Uh, Frank Gore right now, who's like yep. 40 years old. Yep. I mean, that team is... His son is playing in college. Yeah, and it's realistically speaking, they're going to be firing their head coach. Um, I would rather the Jacksonville Jaguars. Miles Jack on defense. There's a little something there left if I had to pick. And also, I don't have to worry about the idea of Sandy Arnold and what happens to him. Right. I start fresh in a franchise that needs me. I will say both franchises probably have a new coach and a new GM. Right. But I just my take on it is just I, I don't like these players having saying they don't want to go to a team. Like the whole purpose of the draft is for the worst team to get the best player. And if Trevor Lawrence is as transcendent as everybody seems to think he's he is or he will be, 
like to me just shut up and go where you're drafted besides you going to the biggest market in the, in the country like most people want to go to New York so I, I like to see him go to New York if they get the pick but we'll see what happens we'll talk about it as it comes um, the second coach yay or nay Anthony Lynn Charles listen Cole. Anthony Lynn I think to me he's earned one more year he's got a he's got I think five seasons in there yep. which include a 12 and 4 year and a 9 and 7 year and to me as much as people are talking about individual calls and decisions he's made in games, you have to look at the ascendance of Justin Herbert. You had a, your quarterback get his lung punctured. You lost at Austin Eckler, your running back. You lost Derwin James before the season started. Melvin Ingram, your defensive star. I think Bosa, uh, they got Nick, right? I think Nick mm-hmm. missed a couple games. Yep. I think he deserves to run it back with a fresh offense and a fresh defense and see what he can do in one last run. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you look at they're three and eight, and I think all but two losses have been by less than seven points. So they've been in every game. Like you mentioned, uh, Tyrod Taylor had a, a puncture lung, and that was caused by the by his own training staff, That's mind right. you, not in a game, right? But by his training staff, and, and he lost his best defensive, two of his best defensive players at the beginning of the year. So I, I think he does deserve another year. Last coach, Doug Peterson. Correct. They also lost Hayward. They're they're signing a cornerback. Right. He's been out for a couple games. Doug Peterson, Philadelphia Eagles head coach. Listen, I'm starting to wonder if Doug Peterson. I'm starting to wonder if Frank Reich was responsible for what we saw in Philly, because Carson Wentz looked so bad. Then you picked uh, Jalen Hurts in the second round, and it doesn't look like you have a strategy or an idea for him. And you know, it, I heard Brett Favre talk, and he kind of was throwing. Carson Wentz under the bus a lot. I know he's close with Doug Peterson, which tells me that Doug Peterson must not be fond of some of what he's getting from Carson Wentz. It's probably from Doug Peterson's lips to Brett Favre's ears. Now, Brett Favre saying the shit that Doug Peterson can't say, right. um, that, that Carson Wentz does his own thing a lot, kind of goes off script, doesn't listen to what the coaches are telling him. But at a certain point, they were 10-0 when Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator with Carson Wentz at quarterback. You know, then they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles coming in. And I start to wonder if there's some lack of creativity in the play calling with Doug Peterson right now that, you know, that Frank Reich helped him with. We're seeing Frank Reich win in Indianapolis with uh, Phillip Rivers, who we thought was done when he was in San Diego. Who is done. (laughs) Who is done, right? I mean, because I think the Tennessee game showed you what, if you get behind with Phillip Rivers, the game is over. It's over, right. He ain't coming back. He's throwing about three interceptions. Um, <laughs> he could throw about as far as that undrafted wide receiver for Denver could throw it. So, yeah, I, I would say I hate to how, like, I don't think you can be done this year. I think he gets one more year just because you won a Super Bowl. Just because you won a Super Bowl. But he's on the hot seat for sure. I say his ass need to be fired. <laughs> He, he won't complain. He won't talk to Brett Favre, his buddy, about Wentz. Well, why the hell you paid him $140 million, goddamn it. You well, paid him after Foles won that Super Bowl, too. Well, I think a lot of the conversation is that signing plus the Jalen Hurts drafting. Right. Like, was that Doug Peterson's choice? Right. Or was that management's choice? And then I think you got the whole dynamic of, because Wentz looks like, and he's in cop. Like, I, he has, he's all in his head. Like, he can't complete his slant. <clears throat> and you wonder if there's some talk that he was upset about the Jalen Hurts pick. So is that impacting his psyche? But then you also start to wonder, did Peterson want to draft Hurts because he had no confidence in, in Wentz? So right. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg there. But um, we'll, we'll see. I, I tell you one thing, if the Eagles lose these next few, I mean, they're in the, the weakest division in football and supposedly had the best quarterback coming into the season. If they, don't make the, if they don't win that division, I'm not sure Peterson can survive that. And they are, like, you know, um, 
they've got offensive line and wide receiver issues. And I think Lane Johnson uh, was just announced uh, to be out for the rest of the season yeah. with like uh, with ankle issues. So yeah. they they have some issues, but to me, there's still no excuse for how bad they are. Agreed. Let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. Rob, start us off with your winners. All right, let's get started on my winners. My first winner uh, out of the University of Buffalo, Jared Peterson. This kid rushed for 409 yards this week and eight touchdowns. You know, I don't want to be pessimistic and say that this is all COVID, but 409 yards to eight touchdowns is ridiculous. Eight touchdowns ties a record. 409 is second all-time, and first all-time is Samaji Pirine, who had 408 one week and then rushed for 427 the next week. And we know they don't play defense in the Big right. 12. So this kid had 409, and a backup running back had 16 carries for 100, for 97 yards and two touchdowns. So realistically speaking, if they gave him all the carries, he would have had over 500 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. So Kent State really maybe should be one of my losers, but I'm going to go ahead and put Jared Peterson as a winner because that's just some record-setting numbers, 409 yards and eight touchdowns. Buffalo, I think, beat Kent State like 70-40 to 40 or something like 70-41, to 41, something ridiculous like I'm going to assume the defense coordinated at Colt because <laughs> I'm not his ass going to be fired because at some point you got to make the quarterback beat you, goddamn it. Uh, my second winner, another dominant running performance, Derrick Henry. We say his name far too much. I passed up on him in some PPR fantasy leagues because I'm like, man, you can't just dominate without the ability to catch out the backfield. Throwback. Well, he did it this week. Yeah. 27 carries, 178 yards, three touchdowns. We've been talking about this Colts defense as a defense that like is winning the Colts games because Phillip Rivers clearly isn't. Right. They run, they play defense, and they complete passes when they absolutely have to. Nah. The Titans came in this week and were like, nah, you're not about to stop us. I understand they were missing some people on the defensive line, but that's still an insane performance. 27 carries, 178 yards, three touchdowns. He put the game away. Just about all of it in the first half. Right. He put the game away real early. If you were watching that game, by the second half, you were just like, let me me just go watch some other games because this is over with. Um, My third winner, Tyreek Hill. My favorite moment of the game was he impersonated Shannon Sharp and he went and he dialed the phone on the sideline and he said, they need some help. They need some help. And he looked at the fans. He was like, help is on the way. Help is on the way. They're going to get you some help over the top. I don't understand what Todd Bowles was thinking, leaving his cornerbacks. We've talked about this over and over and over and over and over again on this pod. Offensive line, secondary, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Stop leaving Tyree killing one-on-one coverage. He needs over-the-top help. He was smoking these dudes up and down the field. 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. And he had most of that. Like early in the third he had, quarter, he had two hundred nine in the first half. Yeah, and I was I was playing against him in fantasy, and I was I started to get worried. I was like, this dude is single handedly gonna go four hundred and beat me. I think the record is like Flipper Anderson, yes. who had like three hundred seventy yards, something crazy like that. He could have broken the record if they really wanted to. It's, it's kind of crazy watching the Chiefs because at times it feels like they are, you know, playing with house money. Yeah. Like I, I feel like a lot of times he's jogging. Um, my guy, uh, the tight end, 87. Kelsey, uh, Kelsey, Kelsey is jogging. You got the quarterback, Mahomes, throwing sidearm passes, underhand passes. Like, they don't even feel like they respect a lot of the opponents they play against. So, um, you know, he's my third winner this week. But the Chiefs, man, the Chiefs are – they feel like they're in cruise control. They look like they're in cruise control yeah, to me. damn sure do. Uh, going to get to my winners. I'm starting off on, on a light note. I got Charles Barkley. He teamed up with Phil Mickelson <laughs> to be Steph Curry, Peyton Manning. 
uh, tandem in the match champions for change tournament. It was a, you know, tournament for charity golf tournament and Barkley who, you know, is always the butt of the joke. You know, Shaq always clowning for never winning championships. He always get clowned for that sorry ass swing he got in golf. But uh, he came, he said he had a new and improved golf swing. And he showed it, and they steamrolled Peyton and Steph. So I got to give a shout-out to Barkley for, for, you know, winning for, for once, not being on the losing end. My second winner, D.K. Metcalf. He is the NFL league leader in receiving yards with 1,039 yards on 58 catches through 11 games. You're looking at possibly the next great wide receiver in the NFL. Through 27 career games, he has more catches, more yards, and more touchdowns than Calvin Megatron Johnson. So, DK Metcalf, shout out to you. Although, this dude missed some of the easiest touchdown passes you ever going to see, man. Like, too many. I got him in a fantasy. I, I could have used that touchdown. Uh, my third winner, you can't make Tyreek Hill a winner without making his quarterback, Patrick, don't call me Pat Mahomes. He showed who is the class of the, the, the NFL right now upstaging Brady, who's been known to be, you know, the, the best NFL, best best NFL quarterback in the history of the game. Pat Mahomes is leading the league in passing yards with 3,497, 30 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. To your point, Rob, just clowning these boys. In a game against Tampa, he threw for 462 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. So Patrick Mahomes, just every week, the consistency that he's doing it, it seems like since last season, he's just on another level. There's a lot of talk about Russell Wilson being the MVP, but I think Mahomes is starting to, to stretch that gap. Um, and he's neck neck with probably, uh, what's my boy, Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay, but I think Mahomes going to take it again. Rob, kid us with your losers. All right, my first loser, we already talked about him, Nate Robinson. <laughs> this man was punched eight times in a two-round fight and got knocked out three times. Nothing worse than that. It was a horrible to watch. It was an embarrassment for all of New York. It was an embarrassment for all of the NBA. And let's just be quite frank, it was an embarrassment for black America, the way he represented himself. Uh, he should have never called this man out. He was in way over his head. Uh, my second loser, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn of the Detroit Lions. Uh, four and seven this season. Uh, Jim Caldwell was fired as the Lionheads coach after two back-to-back nine and seven seasons. These guys come in and take over, uh, and the Lions had three consecutive losing seasons. They've produced nothing. This franchise has gone backwards. Matt Patricia is supposed to be a defensive head coach. Defensively, they have not looked better over the last three years. Offensively, they've also regressed. Um, there's just nothing that you can point to to say that this team got better. Um, and my third loser this week, UVA, the Cavaliers, uh, they won their first game of the season against Townsend, uh, but they were the number four team in the country coming in, coming in against San Francisco and lost 61-60 to um, in a game that they just flat out should have won. There's nobody on San Francisco's team that is on the level of a, a UVA basketball player, and there, there's simply no excuse for, for losing a game like that. So I'm going to turn it over to you for your losers. We'll get, it, get through this quick. First, SEC. Sarah Fuller became the first female a college football player to play in a game in the power five. She kicked a 30 yard kickoff, which they say was designed. So I, you know, I'll, I'll take them for their word, but in an age day and age where we want to talk about equality and, and, you know, everything being equal sec named Sarah Fuller, the sec special teams player of the week. 
that's my loser. You cannot give this woman. She only had one kickoff, didn't punt, didn't didn't kick a field goal. Somebody in, in, in the SEC had to return a kick, a punt, something, kick a 50-yarder to win a game. God damn, anybody but a person who kicked off one time. I don't give a damn what kind of uh, barriers you're breaking. You got to do more than that to get player of the week. My second loser, the Philadelphia Eagles, losers of three in a row. Carson Wentz, as I mentioned, looks incompetent. He looks like he can't even, he don't even have faith to complete a slant pass. He don't even look out to the wide receivers. Doug Peterson can't decide if he's going to bench or start Wentz. They bring Jalen Hurts in for one play who completes an a out route, and then they take him out on third down. Um, and, and the GM, Howie, Howie Roseman, he's missed on multiple draft picks. They picked Jalen Rieger in the first round ahead of Justin Jefferson, who's on his way to becoming the uh, rookie of the year. So just, just multiple misses on all fronts at every level of the organization. Uh, and my last loser is Will Fuller. Coming off the heels of his best game on Thanksgiving Day, six catches, 171 yards, and two touchdowns. He just got suspended for six games for NFL banned substance. So I don't know how I do that six foot a buck 75 gets banned for illegal substances. But uh, I'll tell you how. <laughs> Brian Cushing is assistant strength and conditioning coach. Who uh, just go look at his before and after pictures at USC, and he I think had what two or three NFL suspensions for uh, banned substances. Yes, so yes, I uh, will wrap it up there. Let's get into our picks of the week before we go. Um, Rob is dominating twenty one nine and one, and I'm fifteen fifteen and one. I, I, I am taking some of Blaze garbage picks, <laughs> so I'm not gonna take full credit for the record, but uh, but Rob got me right now. So let's get into the picks. First game: Cleveland Browns at Tennessee Titans. Tennessee is a home five-and-a-half-point favorite. Rob, who you got? I got Tennessee winning this game, but I don't think Tennessee covers this spread. I think that uh, Cleveland, Baker Mayfield is the only thing holding them back. Yep. Like, realistically speaking, you watch the games. Their running game is off the charts. They don't really miss OD, Odell Beckham too much because they weren't really the best passing team uh, out there. I think that with Nick Chubb and uh, Hunt, they're able to kind of match Derrick Henry's output, and this remains a close game from start to finish. Um, I think this is an easy game. I think that uh, Tennessee wins this going away. Cleveland's playing better. They've assured themselves that they won't have a losing record for the first time in I don't know how many years, but I think Tennessee is the, the, the much better team. I think Derrick Henry's going to get it going. And like you said, I, I don't think Baker Mayfield can beat anybody. The key to Cleveland winning is getting a lead and sitting on the lead. They won't be able to do that at Tennessee. I think Tennessee wins by at least uh, two scores. Next game, Los Angeles Rams at Arizona Cardinals. Rob, who you got? Uh, in this game, I got Arizona. I think they've dropped two straight. Yep. I think that, you know, they come in with a sense of desperation in this game. They're at home. I just fully expect them to – I almost feel like this is must win for them. You know, like, what are they, 6-5? and five? Yep. So they will go from 6-3 and three to 6-6. Six and six. I just can't see them letting that happen at this point. No, agreed. I, I like Arizona at home coming off a bad loss to, to New England on the road. Um, the Rams, I think, got a little bit exposed this week. San Francisco really exposed golf. Um Forced him to beat him, and he couldn't do it. And I, and I think uh, he's been living off play action all year. I, again, that's a team, if you get up early on the Rams and you force golf to sit in that pocket and beat you, he can't do it. So I'm going with Arizona as well. They're three-point favorites. Last game, our home New Orleans Saints at Atlanta. Uh, the Saints are three-point favorites um, on the road. Who you got here, Rob? Yeah, I mean, three is a small spread, and we just bust this team's ass. The way our defense is playing with a number one defense in the NFL, I just find I 
feel us finding a way to get it done. Um, and I also just have utmost confidence in Sean Payton at this point to craft a game plan that's going to, you know, put our offense in a situation to win the game. And I think they will win by more than three points. I'll tell you what, we can't win the game with Taysom Hill throwing for 78 yards. I know that much. But like you said, this is two weeks ago we dominated this team. And Taysom Hill didn't do much. They never put pressure on us. Even though they're at home in Atlanta, you know, they somehow pulled out a, a, a ass whooping on Las Vegas, uh, which was surprising. But I think they were on a high. I think they come back to earth. And I think the Saints with Sean Payton and his understanding of division opponents and his record against division opponents, I think we come in and win this game, I think, by 10 or more, to be honest. I think it's going to be a blowout. I'm taking the Saints. Uh, that's all we got. Anything before we hit out, Rob? Nah, let's get out of here. Later, y'all. See y'all next week. Peace.